welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. How are you guys doing? Really, so for those of you that are home, there are really other people in the room. Uh, They are just waking up, so that's okay. We're all in here together. It's good. Well, today's a good day. Oh, there we go. Thank you. It is a good day. That call and response, I like that. Well, if you are interested in uh, texting in a question about the sermon this morning, the phone number is going to be on the bottom of all the slides. You can see that up there right now. Uh, So you can text in a question. We'll get to those questions at the end of the message. Well, here's a fun thing. Um, I have a buddy named Rob who realized that I uh, found out that I was, I, I'm excited about being Scottish, and, uh, and I also got a land title for Christmas, which means I'm a Scottish lord, which is fantastic. And now he, Rob brought me in a sword, so now I have a sword. Isn't this fantastic? I think this is just the most wonderful thing ever. We did this really cool thing with my son, Gavin. Um, he turned 18 last year, and we wanted to do kind of a, a coming-of-age thing for him, but of course, COVID was happening, so we pushed it off till Christmas, hoping by Christmas we'd be able to do this with other people around, but of course, Christmas came, and, and we couldn't do it with other people, so we just did it ourselves. I bought him a sword, and I knighted him as a man of God, and we spoke some words on him. We invited some other people to send in some words for him. We spoke some some amazing words over him, some, uh, some prayers and some blessings and some encouragements. Uh, but I was so jealous that my son now had a sword and I did not. So this is fantastic now that I have a sword. So it's going to be in my office. If you're ever interested in coming by for a chat, uh, we, I'll have my sword with me uh, so we can have a good conversation and, uh, and you can just be forewarned that if anything gets out of line, I'm prepared. So there we go. We're good to go. What a fun thing to have a sword. Well, we talked about the book of Ephesians last week. Um, And in the book of Ephesians, if you remember, is the armor of God, that we're supposed to clothe ourselves in Christ, which is what the armor of God is. And in that passage is a passage about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, we're in the book of Colossians this week, um, and there's no swords in the book of Colossians, but there is the Word of God in Colossians. So that's an exciting uh, connecting point uh, between those two books. Very cool. Um, Now, if you've had a chance to follow along with us, two weeks ago, we asked you to read through the book of Ephesians. Last week, we asked you to read through the book of Colossians. If you've done that, Uh, you will uh, begin to see some similarities in these two books. Now, just as an aside, I encourage you, we're going through 21 missives that they never saw coming, 21 epistles over the next several months. We're going to be looking at all these different letters that were written to the church that are in the New Testament, and most of them are short enough that you can read them in less than half an hour. Uh, So I encourage you to read through uh, all these epistles. As we go into these, as we uh, preach on them uh, through these next several months, I encourage you to read through them with us because you'll get way more out of it uh, as you do that. Um, So, as you look at these two books, the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians, you'll notice that Paul spends a great deal of time speaking about our identity in Christ. And out of that identity, what kind of behavior we should see beginning to, to boil up out of who we are. 
The book of Colossians was written by Paul while he was in prison. So this is one of the prison epistles. There's four prison epistles, and we're going through those at the beginning of our series here. So Ephesians last week, Philippians today, and we'll be moving into the other prison epistles in the next two weeks. Uh, This book was written to the church in Colossae, which was a church that was actually doing quite well. There weren't a lot of problems there. Uh, The church was doing quite well. So this is kind of a really encouraging book. Uh, Some of the epistles are written to churches that are having major struggles. Not so in Colossae. Colossae is doing pretty good. And again, like Ephesians, uh, as we look at the book of Colossians, we find many amazing prayers that Paul prayed for the church. And one of them we read out just, just this morning. One of the prayers that Paul prays for the church. It's amazing to read through these. In fact, if you're on our Facebook community group, uh, you, you will have seen that there was a comment by one of our great-grandmothers uh, who commented that she walked through the book of Colossians many, many years ago and prayed those prayers over her children as they were growing up. And today, uh, she prays those same prayers over her grandchildren and now her great-grandchildren. These are amazing prayers to be praying uh, over the people that are in your life. Uh, they're just really cool. So as you look through Colossians, take note of some of the prayers that Paul prays. There's two key verses in the book of Colossians. They're found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, which is this. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the second verse that is central to the book of Colossians is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, which says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And now, where, while there's, there's so much good stuff in the book of Colossians, and we could actually take a couple of years digging some of this stuff out, um, we're going to actually focus in on just four main points, kind of a four-point progression that is huge in our understanding of our life, the life that we live in Christ. And here's the four-part progression. Jesus is all. Jesus is in all. In Jesus, we are one. And in Jesus, we look like him. So that's the four-part progression that Paul takes us through in the book of Colossians that we're going to look at today. Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how many of these letters, especially the ones written by Paul, were written to Gentile followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, brand new followers of Jesus Christ. Now, because they're Gentile, what that means is that they're non-Jewish. And so as Gentile, brand new believers of Jesus Christ, uh, these men and women had almost no understanding of who God was. They, they, They have no idea who God is. They have no idea what the church is supposed to look like. Uh, They have no idea how they fit into this amazing story. All they've responded to in the very initial phase here is they've responded to Jesus Christ and they've given their life over to him. And now they're trying to figure out all these things. Who who is God? What is the church supposed to look like? How do I fit into this amazing story? And so Paul answers many of these questions in the book of Colossians. The first question that he answers is who in the world is this Jesus that we have begun to follow? Who in the world is this Jesus that we have begun to follow? 
So this passage in Colossians chapter 1 that speaks about Jesus is one of the most amazing passages about Jesus in all of Scripture. And I want you to look at it with me because it is just so full of good stuff. So follow along with me here as I read this passage out of Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. So he, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now that's an amazing passage. It's an amazing passage. I encourage you later on to, to dwell on that for a little while. Just sit in that passage for a moment. That is who Jesus is. The one who made all things and holds all things together. Do this with me for a moment. Whether you're in the room here or whether it's your home, just put your hand on your chest and just take a breath. The reason you are able to do that is because Jesus is holding you together right now. If it weren't for Jesus right now holding you together, you would just your particles would scatter, scatter into everything, into nothing. Jesus is the one who made everything. In him, everything was made. For him, everything was made. And in him, all things hold together. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine hearing this for the very first time? For these believers in Colossae who have given their life to Jesus but really don't know a whole lot about Jesus to hear this for the very first time. Who in the world is this Jesus who we have begun to follow? Oh, he is everything. He is everything. Uh, Paul takes just these short verses to describe Jesus in the book of Colossae, but that's not the only place that we hear about Jesus. If you don't know Jesus very well, just imagine Imagine putting yourself into those shoes of those early believers and beginning to read through some of these epistles, beginning to read through some of these first writings of Scripture, beginning to hear the stories of the gospel. Oh, Jesus, he was born a baby, but he existed well before he was ever born. He was in the beginning with God. He is God. He is the Son of God who was given to the whole world to save the world. He is the only name, the name above all names, the only name by which we could have salvation. He's the, the greatest king, the king of kings. He's the greatest Lord, the Lord of lords. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He is above everything else. Everything has been placed under his feet. Isn't that amazing? He not only is indescribable and immovable and infinite, but he is intimate as well. He is so very near to us. He walks with us. He calls us brother and sister. He welcome us, welcomes us into the family of God. It's by his shed blood that we can enter into the Holy of Holies. This is who Jesus is. Can you imagine hearing that for the very first time? 
Perhaps you've heard this a thousand times. And perhaps right now you may not want to shout out an amen because it seems old to you, but this is who Jesus is. Amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. Isn't this amazing? This is the Jesus who we serve. This is the Jesus who is God incarnate, God and abode, the all-powerful one who's come down to earth to lead us and guide us. Isn't that amazing? He is so amazing. And Paul wants to draw us in to know who Jesus is, to know who Jesus is because Jesus is all. Jesus is all. Jesus is all. And at this moment, Paul probably could have closed off the book of Colossae, a book of Colossians, and said, that's all I've got to say. Jesus is all. He's all. Done a mic drop and walked off the stage because that would have been good enough. Jesus is all. But the Holy Spirit had more to say. He had more to say. Jesus is great. He is all. But then the question comes up, what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me? Well, look at what Paul goes on to say. He says, not only is Jesus all, but look here in verse 127. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. So he's talking to the church in Colossae, but he's also talking to us. To all of us, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery? The mystery is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, Jesus is amazing, but that's not all. He is in you. Paul has just said, Paul has just said in verse 119 that for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus. So the fullness of God is dwelling in bodily form in Jesus. Then Paul says this in 127, that the mystery that God is making known is that not only is God's fullness in Christ, not only is God's fullness in Christ, but also Christ is in you. Christ is in you. Now to drive this home, Paul puts these things together. So in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, here's what Paul says. He says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. You've been given fullness in Christ. So not only is Jesus all, but Jesus is in all. He's in all of you. Jesus is in you. He's in you. Now, this isn't pantheism. If you know what pantheism is, pantheism states that God is in everything. God is in the tree. God is in the stars. God is in everything. That's an impersonal God, kind of saying that there's just this spirit that's out there that's impersonally in everything. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that the very personal, intimate God is, is in you. That we, if we are children of God, we are filled with the presence of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. The personal God is in us. Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, lives in us if we are followers of Jesus. All the fullness of God in Jesus and all the fullness of Jesus in you. This reminds me of the prayer that Jesus prayed back in John chapter 17. As Jesus was leaving this earth 
Do you guys understand this? He was born a babe, lived a perfect life, and then he traveled with disciples for three years. And at the end of those three years, just before he went to the cross, Jesus prayed for all believers. Here's what he says in John chapter 17. He says, my, and this is Jesus speaking, my prayer is not for them alone, the disciples that are in front of him. He says, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That's everyone who's ever believed in Jesus through the message of the gospel. So my, I pray also for, for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. This same thought that Paul is talking about, this is what, Paul, or this is what Jesus prayed for us. This is what Jesus prayed for us, that Jesus would be in us, that he would be in us. God in Jesus and Jesus in you. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? The Jesus that is supreme is in you. We are part of this amazing story because in Jesus Christ we are brought into the presence of God and filled by his amazing presence. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling to me that we created creatures, broken and bruised, would be brought into the very presence of God, not just brought into his presence, but filled with his presence, that God in Jesus Christ would live in us. D does this not blow your mind? Does this not blow your mind? I'm assuming from your quietness that your mind is blown just amazing. How amazing is this? How amazing is this? Jesus is all, and Jesus is in all. He's in you and me if we are followers of Jesus Christ. So do you see the progression so far? Paul starts, Jesus is all. He's all. Jesus is all. He's so amazing. And then Paul says, Jesus is in all. He's in all. And now for this next part, I want you to consider the very nature of God. See, God exists as Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This amazing thing that we don't fully comprehend because how do we understand three in one? That there are three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, and yet together they are one. One God, united together. One God. Not three gods together, but one God. Three in one. This is, a, this is something that is way larger than we can understand. It's, it's like a fourth or fifth dimension type thing. It's, it's beyond our brains, right? It's beyond our brains. But this is who God is. Now, the Father is not Jesus, the Heavenly Father is not Jesus, and Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. They are two distinct persons, and, and, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. They are distinct persons, three distinct persons in one God. So now if God is in Jesus and Jesus is in us, there might be something similar happening here. There might be something similar happening here. Look at, look at this, okay? There is something similar that Paul is trying to draw us to here. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, here's what Paul says. He says, here, there, are no, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, 
barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is in all, or Christ, Christ, sorry, Christ is all and is in all. Those are the two first points of our progression. Christ is all and Christ is in all, and Paul uses that in this verse here. Jesus Christ is all and Jesus Christ is in all, and because of that, there is no longer this division. There's no longer this division between Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, etc., In Christ, there is this amazing thing that happens. Similar to the Trinity being one, even though there are three distinct persons, there is this amazing united thing that happens in the church of Jesus Christ. There is something about the church of Jesus Christ where we become one, we become united, we become together, part of the same family, part of the same body, part of the the same church. We receive the same inheritance. We've been given the same power. We've been given the same big mission. We've been adopted together into the, as children of God into his amazing family. Now, Paul is not saying that there's no distinct identity for each of these different people. He's not saying that they're the, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, that there's no distinctness between them, that, that between the, the barbarian or the Scythian or the Jew or the Gentile, that there's no distinct difference between them. Of course, there's still a distinct difference. But Paul is saying that all of those beautifully distinct parts come together to form one united whole. One united whole. That there is unity within the body of Christ, unity with diversity. Now, to, to exemplify this, to illustrate this, this last week was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And in 1963, Dr. T- King gave uh, his famous I Have a Dream speech. And you remember uh, this speech, likely, where he described a world where white men and, and black men could sit down at the same table as brothers, that white women and black women could sit down at the same table as sisters. Now, if you look at this speech, we, we oftentimes quote these parts, the part about white man and black man sitting down at the same table as brothers. We quote that often. But if you look through the speech, there are many times through the speech that Dr. King quotes Scripture. And Dr. King believed that the, the integration of the different racial groups was only possible through Jesus Christ. We don't really highlight that too often, do we? But in the speech, Dr. King actually gives a direct quote, quoting Isaiah, who was quoted by John the Baptist, speaking about Jesus. Now here's what both Dr. King and John the Baptist say. The high, I have a dream part is from Dr. King. The rest is from John the Baptist, quoting Isaiah. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. It's a direct quote from John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3 about what Jesus was going to accomplish. About what Jesus was going to accomplish. And here in Colossians, we see another picture of what Dr. King's dream was like. It's actually the dream of God. It's the dream of God. See, the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church and he's saying to us that he has a dream. That here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. There is no white man, black man or indigenous man, but Christ is all and is in all. See, my friends, the church of Jesus Christ is meant to stand 
for this unity that goes across all racial boundaries. The Church of Jesus Christ is supposed to stand for racial unity and healing. Healing across all these cultural divides. We've become a culture that is grossly divided. Grossly divided by way too many things. We must stand for unity with diversity. Not a group of same-thinking people. Oh my goodness. I would hate to be in a room full of Greg's. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine how terrible that would be? Ask my wife. It would be a horrible, horrible thing. We are not meant to be a group of same-thinking people, but a group of diverse brothers and sisters united in Christ. Amen. Where each part of the body, each part of the body of Christ is respected and loved. Each part of the body of Christ bringing what we bring so distinctly and beautifully separately united together as one. And here's why. Because Jesus is all. Because Jesus is in all. And in Jesus. I hate licking my fingers. Sorry. In Jesus we are one. In Jesus we are one. He's called us to this. To be united. But you may be asking now the obvious question, how in the world are we going to accomplish this? How in the world was so much brokenness in our world, so much divide? Today, today, there seems to be way more divide than I've ever seen, ever. Just a funny little thing. When I was a kid, this is a funny thing. It's not at all biblical. But when I was a kid, there were like three different types of music, and there were like two bands in each group. I mean, at the most, you had to know six different rock groups or something like that. It was just, it was insane how, how, how it was. Nowadays, there are a thousand different types of music and a million different bands, and I can't even follow. My kids tell me about all these different bands they're following and all this different music they're listening to. I can't even follow it. I'm getting way too old for this. It's crazy. It's crazy. But that is a picture of how divided our, our culture has become. It's crazy. You... you you can find anybody and everybody, you can find a group that will agree with you somewhere with your own little niche idea of things and you guys can all get together in your chat room and you can all believe that you're completely right and that everybody else is completely wrong. This is not the way that we're supposed to be, but we are so culturally divided nowadays. It's insane. The church is called to lead the way in being united in diversity. Now, this division was rampant in Colossae as well. I feel like it's gotten even worse today. So what does the Holy Spirit have to tell us about how we can fix this problem? Well, let's look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. Starting in verse 12, here's what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity let the peace of christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful 
Remember what we've talked about last week and, and what we're going to be talking about, what we are talking about this week, that these attributes that Paul is talking about, this compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, these are attributes of Christ. This is something that you can probably well up a little bit in you because you're made in the image of God, but ultimately you'll fall far short if you're leaning on your own power because this is Christ. This is who he is. He is the compassionate one, the kind one, the gentle one, the patient one. Paul says here, forgive because Jesus forgave you. Love because Jesus is love. Let the peace of Christ rule in you and through you inside and out. We are meant to clothe ourselves in Jesus Christ. We're meant to clothe ourselves in Jesus Christ. Since you are God's chosen people, since you are holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with Christ. Put on on the outside what you are already wearing on the inside. Let your behavior be guided by your identity in Christ. Because in Jesus, we look like him. We have Jesus living in us. Let's show him on the outside. Now, following this section, Paul goes into a number of different relationships, trying to describe what those relationships would look like when we are clothed in Jesus Christ. He talks about relationships between husbands and wives, relationships between uh, children and parents, relationships between slaves and masters, and all of these relationships are meant to be guided by who we are in Christ. We submit out of reverence for Christ. We love because of Christ. We obey because of Christ. We encourage because of Christ. We serve because of Christ. And we rule from our relationship with Jesus Christ. We do everything out of our identity in Jesus Christ. See, our outward behavior, our outward behavior is supposed to be guided by our inward identity. Paul's progression is simple. Jesus is all. He is supreme and he is amazing. And he's in all. He's in you and he's in me. He's in us. In Jesus, we come together because he welcomes us into the body of Christ, into the family of God. We come together. In Jesus, we are one. And when we come together and we allow the inside to be visible on the outside, in Jesus, we look like him. This is a natural progression the Holy Spirit takes us through in the book of Colossians. How are we doing with this? How are we doing with this? Do you know who Jesus is? He's so amazing. Is he living inside of you? Not just do you have a head knowledge of who he is, but you, have you invited him to come inside and live inside of you? Are you one, are you one with your brothers and sisters who don't look like you and don't think like you, who are different than you, are you still one with them? Are you clothed in Christ, matching your outward appearance with your inward identity? It's a progression. You can't skip to the end. You can't look like Christ if Christ doesn't live inside of you. So here's my challenge for you this week as we just bring this kind of to a close. Here's my challenge for you this week. I want you just to write down somewhere, on a piece of paper or on your phone or something, just this four-part progression. Jesus is all. Jesus is in all. 
In Jesus, we are one, and in Jesus, we look like him. Just write that down somewhere. We'll put it up on our Facebook page as well later on. But I want you to be thinking this through. Where am I at in this progression? Are you at the beginning just trying to figure out who Jesus is? Are you at the end where you're trying to figure out how to be clothed in Christ? Or are you somewhere in the middle? Where are you at? And what would it look like for you to take another step through this progression? If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, if you've not yet invited Jesus to come into your life, I would encourage you to do this now, to just do this right now, to invite Jesus to come and live with you. It's a simple prayer. Jesus, come and live within me and help me to look like you. Jesus, come and live within me. It's a simple prayer to begin your relationship with Jesus. So we're going to sing a song here together. If you've got a question or a thought from the sermon, text that in. Our team in the back is going to get those questions up and ready to answer after this song. So why don't you stand with me? Why don't we sing this song together? And then we'll answer some questions. All right, you guys can grab a seat. We got a couple of questions we can pop up. How many questions? We got three? Fantastic. All right. What does humility mean? That's a good question. Well, you could Google it probably and figure it out. Um, I mean, what does it mean for Jesus to have been humble? Jesus humbled himself. So um, we're going to be talking about, uh, where are we at next week? Philippians. Philippians next week, or is it Philemon? No, Philippians. Philippians. So next week we'll be talking about humility. Because one of the main passages in Philippians is this passage about us being the, having the same attitude as Christ Jesus when he humbled himself. So humility is this, this ability to, when you've got this, Jesus had this amazing power, right? He had this, his power, he was, he was God himself, he was God in a bod, um, and he humbled himself, he put himself, even though he didn't need to, put himself at a position of being a servant, coming low. And that's what humility is. It's even though you have the right of being able to be high, you actually make yourself low and you put others before you. You actually come in low. So we'll talk about humility next week. So make sure you tune in next week. Make sure you read through the book of Philippians this week um, and read that passage of Philippians chapter 2 that talks about Christ humbling himself and making himself a servant and even dying on the cross. So we'll be talking about that next week. All right, what's our next question? If we are one, united in the same body, why is disunity and division so prevalent within the larger church? Yeah. Yes. That's a good question. (sighs) Maybe a good question for each of us to ask ourselves, hey? If we are called to unity, because that's a huge part of what Christ died for, that we would be united. If we're called to unity, why is there so much disunity and division I mean, there's a couple of answers for this. We have an enemy, and his job is to steal and kill and destroy. And just a picture from nature, if you think of a, of a, of a, of a herd, when the wolves come into a herd, what do, what do they do to be able to kill off 
parts of that herd, they isolate and they get one, one part of that herd apart from the rest of the herd. They, they breed division, right? Somehow they break off one member from the rest of the body. That's what the enemy does. He comes in and he, he sows division. He breaks off parts of the body so then he can steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. So in part, the answer is the, we have an enemy whose active job is to sow division within the body of Christ. The other part is that I think that our eyes are getting focused on the wrong things. So in, in Hebrews, we're called to set our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. When we take our eyes off of Jesus and we begin looking at all the other stuff, we begin looking at our own rights and privileges, we begin looking at the things that will serve me and make me happy, those type of things, we quickly become divided. Because the things that I might need may not be the same things as you need, right? If I begin to think about what do I need, maybe I need a new car. If, if, I, if I am submissive and hum, humil, humil, uh, humble towards you, and I put your privileges first, well, there's going to be unity. But if I don't do that, if I look out for my own rights and privileges and the things that I need first, then there's going to be division. So I think instead of blaming all this on the enemy, we need to take a hard look at ourselves and ask ourselves, what am I doing to sow division? What am I doing to sow division? That doesn't mean everybody has to be the same, right? And it doesn't mean that nobody comes forward with conflict. Conflict is actually a gift to the body of Christ, okay? Conflict is a beautiful thing when we do conflict in the, the, the presence of Jesus Christ, right? We come together and say, there's things that aren't happening. If you remember in the book of Acts, the very beginning, um, there's a conflict that happens around Acts 5, 6. The conflict is that the Grecian Jews and uh, the Grecian widows and the Hebraic widows are not being fed the same. So a conflict happens. Somebody brings the conflict to the attention of the apostles. The apostles say, this is not a good thing. So they appoint the seven, of which Stephen the martyr is a part of the seven. Beautiful things come out of conflict if you approach it properly not trying to get yourself fulfilled, but actually bringing it together to be able to fulfill the, the mandate of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, growth happens because of conflict, but conflict done in the name of Jesus Christ. Division happens when we're looking out for ourselves all the time. So I think the answer to that question is probably partially because of the enemy, but more because of our own selfish desires. So I think we need to take a hard look at ourselves to answer that question. All right, good. Good question. Great question. All right. Going back to Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your husbands. This is a controversial verse. Did you do this one, Amy? <laughs> this is a controversial verse, and churches have used this verse to keep women out of certain roles. How does this church explain this verse? Okay, so I've preached this passage out of Ephesians at a bunch of different weddings. It's not a wedding verse specifically. This verse talks more about Christ's relationship to the church, but it does have stuff to do with husbands and wives. If you go back, I think, to verse 19 um, in Ephesians, so just before this, uh, chapter 5, verse 19, Paul begins this section of Scripture by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the key. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Has he given any new data here? Nothing new. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. He said nothing new so far. Okay? All he said, wives, submit to your husbands. 
as you would submit to Christ. Okay? And then he says, husbands. So if you look, look in your, look in your Bible, read this passage through. There's like this two sentences to wives, and then there's like eight or something like that to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, okay, so what do we know about Christ? What did Christ do? Look at Philippians. Christ humbled himself, humbled himself, made himself a servant, even going to the cross. So if husbands are supposed to have the same attitude as Christ, if they're supposed to love their wives the way that Christ loved the church, then submission is a part of that, right? Submission is a part of that. If the whole passage starts with, submit yourselves one another to Christ, out of reverence for Christ, that's what Paul is saying. He's given the same commandment to both wives and husbands that we're supposed to honor each other, love each other, submit to one another, all this kind of fun stuff. And he goes a step further to what husbands are supposed to do. So in our church, uh, do we... So, so the, sec, the, the pa- question here is that this verse... Um, this is a controversial verse, and churches have used this verse to keep women out of certain roles. How does this church explain this verse? So I don't think this verse is speaking about roles in a church, okay? So these are two, it's apples and oranges. This verse is talking about submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives do this for your husbands. Husbands do this for your wife, okay? It's not talking about associate pastors, lead pastors, elders. It's not talking about that. This, this section of scripture says nothing about leadership within the church, so this doesn't actually gauge any of our dialogue in how we do this in our church. So there are other passages that we use and other passages that are way more controversial than this one. Uh, but we'll talk about those as we keep going forward. So a lot of those passages are found in the epistles. So that's all I'm going to give you for today. Uh, if you're a part of our Facebook community group, get on there, debate this. Let's talk this through. Let's work this through. Let's have great conversation around this because conflict helps to push forward growth. So, all right, that's all we had, three questions. We're going to leave it at that because I think if anybody got in there right now and started asking questions, they would get off in a different tangent. But let me do this, okay? So there is, there is no clear benediction from Colossians. There's no clear benediction, though much of the, of the book could be read as a benediction. In fact, the, the verses that were Carling read at the very beginning could be a benediction. But I'm going to read this uh, starting in chapter 3, verse 15, as a benediction for you. So why don't you stand, and I'll read this as a benediction over all of us. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I bless you this week as you go, that you would lean more and more into Christ who is all and who is in all. Blessings on you this week. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or are just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com as well as you can find us on Facebook 
or feel free to email us at office at beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray that today you would know the love and manifest presence of Jesus.